our journey on Sunday mornings in the Gospel of Luke, just following Jesus' life and teaching, and really using it as an opportunity to discover him and let our lives be shaped by that. The Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy once wrote a very short story about a successful farmer who was never satisfied with everything that he had. He just wanted more. So one day he received a novel offer for a thousand rubles, and I don't know how much it was at the time when Leo Tolstoy wrote. He could buy all the land that he could walk around in a day. And there was one catch. At the end of the day, by sundown, he had to be back in the very point that he started his journey. So he started very early in the morning, as soon as he could, and he kept going, covering more and more and more ground. Noonday came. He was very tired, but he just pushed himself and pushed himself, trying to get further and further. But then towards the end of the afternoon, he realized that the further he was walking in order to acquire more land, the further he was walking away from the starting point at which he had to return. So he realized that he had to try to make a U-turn and try to get back. He rushed with everything that he could. He was gasping for breath. His heart was beating He was nearly collapsing. Everything within him was telling him, keep going, keep going. But he just couldn't do it anymore. He pushed himself, and at one point, blood was streaming from his mouth, and he just simply collapsed on the ground. In a few minutes, he was dead. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave, And Tolstoy said it was not much over six feet long and three feet wide. And the title of the story that Tolstoy wrote was How Much Land Does a Man Need? It's a tragic parable about greed. And this is exactly what Jesus is looking at in the passage that we will be looking at this morning. Some of you are young enough, see see what I'm doing here, as opposed to what Beth was doing here. Some of you are young enough to remember these words, living in a material world, I'm a material girl. You know that we are living in a material world, and I am a material girl. It's something that all of us, whether we admit it or not, have to deal with in our own lives. Covetousness. Greed. And Jesus is speaking into this. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Someone in the crowd came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life would be demanded from you. Then he will get what you've prepared for yourself. And then Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. It's amazing that actually Jesus gets asked the wrong question in all of this. Somebody comes up to him and they say, teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. You know, it's probably one of those situations that, that we've all been through when we're trying to get somebody influential, leverage some power to our advantage. And somebody who misunderstood what Jesus was all about came up to him and tried to settle a dispute between two brothers to do with inheritance. Not that uncommon. It's interesting to see that when somebody passes away, the reaction of the family, and in how many cases, and this is going on across cultures, that suddenly there is all sorts of difficulty there. So while Jesus is minding his business and going on about ministry, really, somebody totally misunderstands what Jesus is all about and comes to him and he says, Jesus, you're a teacher, you're somebody important, you're somebody who has a crowd and therefore your word matters. Why don't you just come and be on my side and tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me? And what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't get involved in areas that he's not interested in. It's fascinating to me how very easily we can lose focus. This was a legal matter. This was a family matter. This was a relational matter. This was not a spiritual matter. This has nothing to do with Jesus' ministry and his mission on earth. Yet somehow somebody tries to drag him into it. And what fascinates me at the moment is just how many Christians, how many churches are falling out over political issues or social issues, forgetting the main thing that needs to stay the main thing. And I love the fact that Jesus refuses to get dragged into it. And his reaction actually tells you (laughs) he's almost a little bit short in his reaction to the man. And he basically says to him, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? In other words, just push off. Leave me alone. This has got nothing to do with me. Why are you bringing this to me? Because it was the wrong thing to be brought before Jesus. 
and he pushes it back in an incredible way. But what Jesus does, he uses this as an opportunity to teach about greed and possessions. Now, there is a part of me that wonders whether Jesus doesn't answer this man's question, but in a different way than he wanted it. There is a part of me that wonders, is it possible that actually Jesus, who was an all-knowing God, recognized that maybe an injustice has been done to this man, and maybe his brother was greedy. And instead of getting and resolving the judicial conflict between the two, Jesus brings it back to what he was about. He was about the heart. He was about the spirit. And basically begins to teach and uses this as an opportunity to teach about possessions and greed. And then Jesus tells a parable. A parable in Jesus' teaching is a simple subversive story with a spiritual meaning. They're always easy to understand. Even a child can understand a parable and easy to be explained, but they're very subversive. They get under your skin and they challenge your heart. And again, Jesus uses his method to bring some teaching in about greed and possessions or in our world, materialism. So he begins to tell the story, probably a little bit similar. Tolstoy was uh, very much inspired by the teaching of Jesus. So uh, very much a story of a man who had an abundant harvest. Everything was going really well for him. And uh, when he had the abundant harvest, he thought to himself, what shall I do with this? Oh, I know. I'm just going to make myself even richer. I'm going to build bigger barns in order to store this. And then what am I going to do with it? Just going to have a good time. Just going to live as the ultimate hedonist. Enjoying my life. Eat, drink, and be merry. That was his solution. And to his surprise, in the night, God, we don't know how, in this parable that Jesus tells, comes and tells him he's going to die. And he's going to have to face eternity. And he's going to have to face a judgment in this. Jesus is challenging the very heart of materialism, which is greed. And as he tells this story, you can get right in there the heart of what Jesus is talking. Jesus replied to the man, and then he says, watch out. He says to the crowd, and he says to the man, watch out. Be on your guard. It's the kind of language that you would use to soldiers who would be under attack from the enemy. Watch out, be on your guard. And in other words, Jesus is saying, this is serious. This has gravity. You better pay attention to this, because this could be lethal to you. Watch out, be on your guard. Don't just sail through, don't let your guard down. Don't just think that by inertia you'll do well. No, 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 you've got to pay attention to this. Because this is really dangerous. Watch out. Be on your guard, Jesus is saying, against all kinds of greed. The problem of the man was not the fact that he had an inheritance. 
the problem of the man that Jesus uses in the parable that he talks about isn't the fact that his crops produced a, 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 a double portion, so to speak, and that he was doing well. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the reaction to the wealth that came his way. And therefore, I think very often people of left-leaning sort of political uh, ideology tend to say, oh, this is it, Christianity, this is Jesus. He is against anybody who is rich. He is against anything to do with possessions. It's all about equality. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is criticizing, what Jesus is encouraging us to be watchful and be on, our, on, on, on God is not wealth, but it's greed. And as he tells that story, Jesus is illustrating how easy that is for somebody to be caught in that. The problem of the farmer wasn't the fact that he was wealthy. That's not the problem. There are plenty of very wealthy people in the Bible that loved God, and God loved them. Just Abraham and Job, to give a couple of examples, Solomon to add to that. There's plenty of people who were very wealthy, and they were very godly. Wealth isn't the problem. It's what you do with that wealth. And the clue is in what Jesus is saying in the second part of his warning. Be on guard against any kinds of greed. And then he explains this, and it's this. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There you have it. And that's the key. What does that wealth that we have do to us? The problem with the man in Jesus' parable wasn't the fact that he was wealthy. The problem was on how he dealt with the wealth that he had. And there's probably a couple of things in there that are challenging. The first one is the fact that he never ever for one moment, it seems in the parable that Jesus tells, took some time to acknowledge where that wealth came from. If, if you look at his words, this is the kind of guy that talks to himself. And, and he says, after the good crop that was, was produced, the ground produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? Where shall I store my crop? Everything was about himself. And there was absolutely nothing of an acknowledgement towards God who enabled the crops to be the way they were. And that's problem number one for him. And that's the challenge number one with greed. It's the lack of gratitude, the lack of acknowledgement of God being involved in this and God being the one who gave him that crop. Greedy people most of the time think it's all because of themselves. They are at the very center of attention. They don't think about God. God isn't in the framework. It's as if they were God. And the second problem is the fact that, again, he's thinking all about himself, so he's not thinking about God. Second problem, he's not thinking about other people. Instead of saying, okay, I've got this double portion of crop. I've got this rich, good crop today. 
What can I do with it? Well, I know what I can do with it. There's plenty of people who need it. So I'm going to keep what I would have needed and the rest, the surplus that I have, I can redistribute it to those who are in need. But that thought doesn't even cross his mind. So both vertically in terms of his relationship with God, he has no acknowledgement. He doesn't say, thank you, God, for your great provision. Thank you for providing the rain. Thank you for providing the ground. Thank you for providing this great growth of my crop. Nothing. Problem number one. The second problem is horizontal. He doesn't think about other people. He doesn't see anybody else. It is all about him and about his hedonism, his pleasure. He's eating and drinking and being merry. It's all about him. And on both those accounts, he fails. And that's the problem with greed. It has man, it has me, right at the very center of it. It's all about self-centeredness. And then Jesus says in the story, while he was thinking all about himself, while he was being ungrateful towards God, while he was being very selfish and lacking any generosity towards people around him, his focus was just simply on possessions, on the things he has that enables him to live the life he wants. And in the meantime, Jesus is saying, God spoke to him and he said, you fool, this night your life would be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourselves? And then Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. In other words, what greed does, it inverts our values. And it puts the material above the spiritual. In fact, it neglects the spiritual. It has nothing to do with the spiritual. All we think about is the material things. In the words of the man, eat, drink, and be merry. Or whatever our 21st century version of that is. You know, depending on your age, you know, having the right car and the right house and the right furniture and the right job and the right manicured garden, you know, or if you're probably a little bit further along going on the right cruises, You know, having a second holiday home, uh, you know. It's different, but it's the same. And what Jesus is saying, there's a problem with this. Because all that you're thinking is about here and now. And nothing about eternity. So greed brings all these three problems. It's a vertical problem. We, We never say thank you to God. We never acknowledge that it comes from God. We, we think it's, it's from us and we're there for God. It's horizontal. We never think of other people. We never think of sharing the surplus that God has given us in order to bless other people. And it's internal as well. Because we never think about our soul. We never think about eternity. It's all about here and now, the food, the drink, the pleasure. And Jesus is saying, strong language, you fool. You fool. It's a foolishness to live in greed, Jesus is saying. It's a foolishness because you ignore God. You don't acknowledge him. You're not thankful to him. You ignore people and their needs. And you ignore your soul. 
You think it's just about here and now, but you don't think of eternity at all. And that's the challenge that Jesus lays as he is engaging in teaching when this man approaches him and says, sort out my problem. So I do wonder, there's a part of me that leans that way to think actually probably maybe the brother was unjustly treated in regards to inheritance by his brother. Maybe his brother was greedy or maybe just Jesus used this opportunity to actually teach about something that's really important. Maybe this younger brother was greedy. And Jesus recognized that. We don't know. One thing is for sure is that in the midst of this misplaced question, Jesus comes and teaches about those misplaced priorities in our lives. It's just about me, my wealth, my pleasure right here, right now. Tim Keller, and he's going to appear on the screen, wrote these words. Even though it is clear that the world is filled with greed and materialism, almost no one thinks it's true of them. And then he has this killer sentence. He says, greed hides itself from the victim. Greed hides itself from the victim. What Tim is saying, if we were to do a poll and ask, is there greed in the world? We probably all would say, yeah, plenty of greedy people. But if the pastor in church on Sunday would say, all the greedy people, put your hand up. None of us would. Because greed has this knack of hiding itself from the victim. Let's get the mirror this morning. Because some of you are already doing the maths in your head and you're thinking, do you know what? There's all these people around me and, and they're, you know, he's speaking to them. He's not speaking to me. I know the car they're driving. I know the house they're living. I, I, you know, it, it's about them. I'm, it's not about me this morning. I'm not greedy. Let's think again this morning. What do we do with this? Because I think it's for all of us. There are several things that I think are good questions for ourselves to be asking ourselves uh, as Julie will put them on the screen. Here are some questions I'd like us to think through about this. The first one is this, and he's peeling it back, going right to the, to the core of the issue. Is what, what, what am I living for? What are you living for? What is our life about? Is it about that stuff that, frankly, I've said it a couple of weeks ago, when you die, the only difference is going to be you're going to leave some stuff behind you that you can't take with you, and the only difference is maybe your casket is going to be more posh than another person that's poorer than you. That's the only difference. There's nothing else, no other difference. So what are we living for? Second question, what happens with what you own? Now, let me not misinterpret this. It doesn't mean that we don't care for our family. And again, there's a verse in 1 Timothy 5, 8, where Christians are encouraged to look after their family and after the people around them. It doesn't mean that we live this um, life that is irresponsible. So it's not wrong. It's not wrong to want to care for our family and, and help them out as we probably have been helped out. That's not what we're talking about. It's talking about that surplus that goes way beyond that. So what happens with what you own? Third question. Is my life impacting heaven? 
Is there anything that I do right here and right now, particularly with my lifestyle and with the possessions that I have, that are having this long reach into eternity? Because for that man, eat, drink, and be merry, let me tell you, no impact on eternity. You know, the fact that, you know, the, the car that I drive is 20,000 pounds more expensive than what I need. You know, the, the, the fact that, you know, I've got all this stuff that's sat there in a bank account where, you know, we used to have this expression, you know, for the dark days. You put this money for the dark days. It's like you get the cutlery on your, on your wedding. Some of you know what, a, you know, you know, the silver cutlery that you get on your wedding. It's only for the special days. Special days never come. Dark days never come. That stuff just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. How is that impacting heaven? And then, last but not least, how is my life impacting other people? Is it just me and my circle and my family, and it's just us? Or is there a life in God that actually looks around and says, I've got the big crop. What shall I do with it? Not build a bigger barn, but actually see on how this could bless other people. There's a wonderful passage <clears throat> that provides the answer, and I would love for you to go home and really take some time to, to study this. Um, we're going to put it on the screen, First Timothy 6, 6 to 19. If you want to ask yourself the question, okay, Christy, what does it mean to get hold of Jesus' words about building treasure in heaven. What does it mean to invest in eternity? What does that look like? What does it look like to live not like a fool, not like that man that was all about eat, drink, and be merry, and his soul was taken away from What does it look like? If you look at this passage, if you read it and study it and delve into it, I think it will provide us with some really great guidance on what that life lived for eternity and for others, to the glory of God, looks like. Let me read this to you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So living a godly life and living content, that's how you're preparing for heaven. That's how you're gathering treasure in heaven. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you... Man of God, flee from all this and pursue. And here is what we need to invest in if you want to have treasure in heaven. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's how you're packing a suitcase for heaven. When we'll be there, that's what you're unpacking. Those are the items you can take with you. What you've invested in your soul, in your character. Paul is saying to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. So there's a hint there. This is not going to be easy. 
materialism will fight for our hearts. And fighting materialism will take everything that we have. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ. Who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to prepare yourself for heaven? Keep persevering. Keep the command. Keep faithful. Stay on track. Don't get swayed. Don't get distracted. Which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be the honor and might forever. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. There it is. How do we prepare ourselves from heaven? It's by being humble, being servants, being generous, not arrogant. Not to put their hope in wealth. What's our hope in? Oh, I can pay for better doctors. Oh, I can go to a better hospital because I've got the money. No. I'm putting my hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's a wonderful promise there. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. There it is. How do we prepare it for heaven? How do we put that stuff in that suitcase, metaphorically speaking? This is what we do. Because of God's greatest generosity towards us we are generous rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share it almost makes me wonder whether we make a choice when we come before him on that day will we will he say oh you were rich on earth or will he say you were rich in good deeds generous and then Paul is saying, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's the invitation that God brings before us. I love the words. Of the hymn that we often sing. Riches I need not. Nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance. Now and always. Thou and thou only. First in my heart. High king of heaven. My treasure thou art. If we make him our treasure, and if we simply surrender and say, you're my king, and I'm your servant, who I am, what I have, little or more, it's all yours, because my life is lived for you. That's the life of surrender God is looking for. You know, our time will come, my time will come, and your time will come. That moment when God will say, 
come. Come home. Don't know what it's going to be. Could be soon. Could be a while off. But one thing is for sure. Every single one of us, just like we were born, will have to go through it. And it's so important to realize that what we do in the here and now, in those famous words, it echoes into eternity. It impacts eternity. How do I prepare myself? So we're just going to take some time quietly to pray. And I'm going to leave those questions. Julie will put them on the screen for me. And then we will respond in some worship as we bring our hearts before him again. But let's just stay quietly as we allow the Spirit of God just to continue to speak to us individually on these matters, on our hearts, on our surrender, on what we cling to, what our confidence is, and what God wants to do in us and through us.